Welcome to the Zen Ways podcast with our teacher Dai-san. Since I got back from Japan in 2007, I've had a, the great privilege of、uh, working with quite a number of people exploring how the Uh, traditional teachings of Zen that go back hundreds of years can actually、uh, be applied within our modern Western life. I got back middle of June 2007, and、um, pretty much straight after that, midsummer morning, I started walking from the south tip. Of the Isle of Wight and walked straight up the middle of the Isle of Wight and then straight up the middle of the island of Britain、um, without carrying any money. I just had my my bill and my robes and、um, just meeting people really and just living on whatever food、um, people gave along the way. And that first morning, 21st of June 2007. I,、uh, I started walking as the sun came up, probably about、um, l- around five-ish, a little before. And about half past nine,、uh, I was walking、uh, uh, along a little country lane, and a car pulled up beside me. And the window came down, and the lady who was driving the car reached across and said, "Are you Dyson Roshi?" And I said, "Yeah." And she said, "Will I heard about you on Isle of Wight?" Radio, will you teach me to meditate, please? And I said, okay. So she pulled her car in, and、uh, she came and sat on the grassy verge, and she sat on my rucksack, and、uh, I got her comfortable there, and、uh, I showed her how to practice meditation, and so we did that together, and then、uh, she drove off, and that was really the beginning. And、um, more recently, I've been writing a book, which、um, kind of covers how to practice meditation our way for people who can't get a sort of face-to-face contact.、Um, we have a number of meditation teachers around now, and we've worked out how to do it in a kind of an eight-week program, introducing each piece of the puzzle. Over an eight-week、uh, kind of meditation program with homework that you do、uh, each week, and、um, for example, Mark is is teaching this eight-week program、um, here and in the area. Now,、um, in writing this book and doing my best to kind of share how to do this in the written form, one thing that's come up, of course, is that. The experience of reading a book and practicing by yourself can work very well, but what it misses is the human contact aspect of it. Zen works very well as a group practice, and somebody doing it by themselves with a book doesn't have that human connection. So I thought what might help is to put a chapter in to the book that actually. Talks about different people who've actually, since two thousand and seven, have actually put these things into practice, and、um, uh, and how their lives have unfolded as a result of that. And so I've been doing little interviews with people over the last little while who've 
who've done this, to try to get a sample of people, different ages, different backgrounds and so on. This morning I was talking to uh, a lady called Kim who lives up in Yorkshire and uh, she's been practicing with us for really quite some time now and she talked me through her process and basically where it started for her was she um, really suffered from uh, a kind of a mood problem where uh, it would happen roughly every six weeks something like this she would have like a real terrible black mood she would be even sometimes worried to leave the house because she wouldn't trust herself not to step in front of a bus in the road or throw herself off a bridge she felt so awful and this terrible black mood would hit her roughly every six weeks and she'd be basically out of commission for three perhaps four days while she just kind of hung in there really and this was really affecting her life very badly she tried alcohol to deal with it she tried drugs of different kinds she tried um, the mental health service and the best that she could get really was she found um, the doctor would give her Valium and if she could catch this mood as it was dropping in the early stages and take a huge dose of Valium, fall asleep and, and perhaps sleep even for a day or, or two full days, when she woke up um, it would have cleared. But still, this was causing a major kind of blip in her life pretty regularly and she didn't feel like the drugs were doing her any good at all. So she found her way to Zen meditation. She started to practice. And what started to happen was these black moods would last two days instead of four days. And then it would just be a day. And then it got to a point about uh, five years ago where she uh, plucked up the courage to actually watch what was happening as the black mood was coming on. She literally turned and faced herself and experienced the... It, it, she said it was like black ink sinking into or seeping into blotting paper the experience of this mood spreading through her body and mind and she just watched it she didn't try to stop it she didn't try to change it she was simply aware and as she did this strangely enough the uh, the ink seeping into the blotting paper carried on for a little while and then it reversed and it and the paper started to become white again and as she did this as she as it were faced her black ink it receded it receded it receded and it was gone and not only was it gone but it hasn't come back again once she had the courage to actually 
face it, to truly face it with no holds barred, everything changed. And this was such a, um, a revelation and a revolution within her life that um, she's founded a holiday company and in her holiday company, um, uh, she, she runs holidays in Greece every year and every single holiday that she runs uh, people have meditation as part of the daily program. It's on offer every single holiday. People don't have to come to it, it's voluntary, but there's a thread of meditation running through every single holiday that she runs. And it's been very successful and she's had many, many other people that have also um, had these kind of shifts, these kind of turnarounds in their lives. She's trained with us to be a Zen meditation teacher. And she's carried on with her own practice as well. Now, this experience of um, turning around this problem of the black mood was just a part of the story for her. She started to study the koan, or the meditative question, Who am I? And she described to me, looking into this question, uh, this question becoming the theme of her meditation, and allowing the exploration that came along with this question, Who am I? to take this face to face quality that she'd already developed with her relationship with herself to go deeper and further. And she described this morning to me how this question became a kind of a theme in her life, almost like a tape loop running in the back of her mind. Who am I? And the kind of consequent investigation just going on. And she described to me how uh, she came to sit in the... Um, uh, she was in London, she was practicing in London, and uh, she was on the tube. And she got to the point where she felt like herself and the question became one. She was sitting on the tube, and as herself and the question became one, everything opened up. There was a whole new shift in perspective. And this shift in perspective, well, the way she described it to me this morning was, the battle was over. There was no more fight within herself. She saw through the kind of inner conflict and this inner conflict has its root in our view of me and the world. When we see it's me against the world, then we always are, have got this kind of inner battle. But sitting on the tube, in a moment, in a flash, she suddenly saw a whole other perspective. She saw, she knew who she was directly, without any intermediary, 
and that direct knowing caused her to, well, as she described it this morning, she said she didn't stop smiling for three months. The battle was over. Now this new perspective which is there for us all as we do this work, as we come face to face with ourselves, is often described in Zen as a threshold, a doorway, a gateway that you go through. But when we go through this gateway, there's a whole world to explore. And one of the aspects of this new world that we enter is as our own battle comes to an end, as our own struggle comes to an end, a question mark arises about why am I here? What's my purpose in life? For Kim, what she's finding is sharing this work and helping other people bring their battle to an end is now her purpose. She's gone through the threshold. There's still further to explore for herself. Perhaps there is for all of us. But there's this broadening of perspective. So this holiday company that she has and these holidays that she runs are now her vehicle for sharing with others. Bringing the battle to an end. Now, within your own life and your own practice, if you stay with this work, you too will bring the battle to an end. You too will come to the place where you can't stop smiling for three months and more. And you too will face the question of what now? What's my life really about? What am I here to do, to share, to give? What is my contribution to this situation that we find ourselves within? And as you throw your heart open to what that might be, the form it will take will be unique to you. Your history, your situation is unique and so your response, your purpose will also be unique. But if it's genuinely your true path, you can guarantee that it's a path of ever-increasing joy 
and rightness. You will wake up in the morning with that yes in your heart. That smile in your heart. And as the journey goes on, step by step, what really powers it is the courage, the willingness to face who and how we are, to face the truth of things. Anybody got any points or any questions or anything before we do some practice? Uh, in the case of Kim, mm. she did have very big problem, it seems, mm. because the suffering she had was quite tremendous. Mm. But uh, those who do not have a big, such a big problem, mm. Mm. or small things like I don't get on with my colleagues at work, or in-laws, mm. or my children are not supposed to be doing, not doing what I expect to be, mm. something like that. But in that case, it seems that Zen practice is not that very important. Mm. It seems like having a big dose of a very strong medicine to cure small illness. Mm. It, am I telling some stupid things? No, not at that? all. Not at all. I, I thought one of the aspects about Kim's story that was interesting was um, she dealt with this black mood problem completely. It was finished. It didn't come anymore. But it was her continuing her practice then that opened things up further. So, in a sense, the suffering, as you say, it, in her case, it did get her going. It did start things off. But she didn't... She could have just stopped. Okay, now I've dealt with my bad moods, my, my black feelings. I could stop now. She could have done that, but she didn't. She carried straight on and it was then that things could really open up for her. And um, one of the things about this work is it does work. It does actually work. So um, typically, the, for most people, um, uh, that coming face to face with yourself um, is at the beginning of the process when we start to practice, typically we come face to face with the most gross or the most uncomfortable, the most unpleasant things, the most out of harmony things within our life. Okay? And through doing that, through coming face to face with them, they begin to ease and resolve. Okay? And then later on, as if we continue our practice, then that process continues but the disharmony, if you like, that we're facing is much less. And so we kind of start with the gross or the, the real 
powerful suffering and then we deal with you know finer and finer and finer aspects of as it were tuning our lives to you know to what what the real resonance that they could be based on and so all of us have to face this problem that we if suffering is what's running our practice we're going to run out of suffering because the practice works so we have to find yes suffering can be a an initial motivation for practice it can get us going oh i've got to deal with this awful wife or i've got to deal with this terrible job or you know this stress or these financial worries you know these are very real and powerful driving forces and the practice will enable people to deal with these things for sure but then we need more because what happens when we've dealt with them do we then get out the deck chair and you know forget it actually we can do we can do that we can stop at that point but that's a little bit like um going to uh, the most beautiful restaurant in london and stopping at the soup course you know it's fine it's nice but there's so much more available for us if we keep going so what's our motivation going to be then what's going to keep us going then when we just don't hurt the way that we used to you know life is already getting better you know we're getting on with the horrible boss now or you know we don't have these health problems anymore then what do we do well traditionally um the view taken is that then our motivation needs to be if you like um if you like we we broaden out our view so we start to see that um okay maybe our individual suffering is much much less than it used to be but we still live in a world of suffering we still live in an environment in which people are hurting and as we deal with our own stuff we become much more able to help other people to deal with their stuff and how we do that can take many many different forms just the way we are in dealing with other people will as it were enable that help to happen it can happen whether you're running a laundrette driving a bus um whatever you're doing really how you do it and how you interact with people causes changes and the motivation to as it were allow this process to happen to find to allow the benefit that you found to begin to spread is traditionally seen as the motivation that can keep us going once we've as it were sort of dealt with our own gross levels of disharmony and suffering we can find motivation to go further to go deeper through uh people that we find inspirational and aspirational if we can find admirable people that we as it were consciously or unconsciously want to emulate that can as it were keep us going can keep things moving on if we can find inspiration in those things which we allow to 
influence us, our reading, our viewing. We can use things very consciously to inspire us to to continue to grow, to develop, to, uh, as it were, expand our range. When we look at this process over the course of a life, it's often uh, the image of growing a tree is often used. And uh, it's a very fine thing to grow a beautifully formed small tree. But then, if you've ever been over to the west coast of America and visited the redwoods, the tallest trees in the world, the trees that are so huge that when they fall over, it takes 300 years for them to rot down. Then a small tree is all very well, but there's scope to go far, far beyond what we would think of as perhaps normal. So we can, as it were, Um, explore the influences that we expose ourselves to. We can find those things and those people that really encourage us to grow and develop and continue growing and developing. And as we do, that growing process is in itself this road of joy, this road of expanding joy that we can walk. Because it's in the nature of human beings to, as it were, to want to grow, to want to expand, to develop. We're not an animal that likes standing still. We like, it it brings us deep satisfaction to, as it were, uh, expand our range. So traditionally, that seems to be the way that people kind of grow beyond their own suffering as a motivation. It's a very important question. Uh, Thank you so much. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our work with a donation. Visit zenways.org for more information. You will also find the free guided Zen meditation recordings in the main languages of the world on the Zenways Guided Meditation Podcast. Search iTunes to find it.